going to ask you to open your Bible with me now, if you would, to uh, 3 John. 3 John. So, we've been going through uh, the reality epistles. Uh, we started in uh, Hebrews um, years ago. And we've just gone through uh, one book at a time, one passage at a time. Uh, and we've just seen what God would show us about the reality of our salvation. And I am encouraged. Uh, the, the fact that we have studied this now for a number of years has caused me to really appreciate more than ever in my life that what God desires is for each and every one of us to know what do you really have? What, what do you really have? Um, God does not want anybody to pretend. He doesn't want anybody to be missing out on what it is that He has for us. I, I, we're not going to go back and, and uh, look at uh, Hebrews and then into the book of James again this morning, but it really does matter that if you have the, the Christ of the, of the book of Hebrews, if you have the great high priest of the book of Hebrews, if that's what you've got, then when you go into the book of James, then it will demonstrate in your heart and life that this is this one that's pouring out a whole new quality of life is doing so in my everyday life. It is his work to do this. I, uh, John was teaching this morning in Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 10 is where he was this morning. And in Isaiah chapter 10, there's a great deal of forward-looking passages. In other words, God is speaking of Assyria, and he is causing Assyria to understand that they are a tool they're a very great and powerful nation. That's how they view themselves. And what God says is, actually, you're just a tool in my hand. And I have raised you up to accomplish something, and I will use you to accomplish this. And you can, you can have a relationship. Assyria could have had a relationship with God if they wanted to, but they didn't want to. They wanted to be just great by themselves. And so that was going to lead to their fall. What was going to lead to their fall was their pride. Not the fact that they were great, but that they were great in and of themselves. And that's true. And we are all realizing this and learning this and understanding uh, what it means to be set free from our pride. But he spoke, in Isaiah, God speaks about things that aren't going to take place for a considerable period of time. But in chapter 10, if I'm not mistaken, everything in chapter 10 has taken place now, historically. It's all happened. It wasn't going to happen for an extended period of time when it was said. And when it was said, that it was going to happen the way it was written down might even have seemed impossible. That Assyria would be able to be stopped before she could get to Jerusalem when she was already basically at Jerusalem's door. How is this possible? And the answer is, well, God is who he is. You understand? God is who he is. You say, no, what does this have to do with third John, and the answer is it has everything to, third, to do with third John. As we assemble here together this morning, understand this. Everything in the Word of God is secure. Everything in the Word of God is sure and secure. There's, you know, I said to John, and some of you may still be here. I said to John, 
I don't remember when in my life my Bible went from a place that I went to to get truth that I didn't quite understand to a place where I was sure that everything about it was true, even if I didn't understand it. Does that make any sense to you? What I mean is this. There are, there are parts in Isaiah. I don't know that there's anything in Isaiah that I wouldn't understand the historical context nor what the prophecy is making reference to, although there might be some passages where we might think, oh, I think he's talking about this here, and, and God would say, no, actually, I'm talking about this, and it's slightly different than what you're thinking. But this is the point that I'm making. Everything is going to come to pass exactly like God says. Everything is going to come to pass exactly like God says. We, went, we, you know, we started our service with a, with a special time of prayer for our nation. I really believe that that prayer is more important than all of the political decisions that will be made. I really do. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that prayer is more powerful than, than a bunch of people getting together and, um, what do you want to call, um, either protesting or picketing or doing whatever they want to do. I believe that prayer is more powerful than all of that. With, with all of my heart, I really, really do. I believe that you going by yourself or we going corporately to the throne of grace is more important than, and I'm not saying you shouldn't write letters to your congressman or your senator. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is praying is more powerful than all of that. Far more powerful, by the way, than all of that. Because everybody does answer to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Everybody does. Nothing, nothing, nothing in your life is out of his hand. Nothing. Nothing in your life does he not have complete and total power over. And so that should be, that should give you tremendous peace. It should give you tremendous encouragement. And it should cause you to recognize, you know what, all I have to do is walk with God. All I have to do is walk with God. And all we have to do is walk with God together. You know, we looked at these things last Sunday morning and Sunday evening. What we recognized was that it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's good. I'm glad to be able to assemble together. And then in the evening, we looked at the fact that what could keep us? What could prevent us from entering into the will of God? And the answer is, well, you can. You know, Clint can prevent Clint from entering into the will of God. I can't. I can't prevent you from entering into the will of God. All of us together cannot keep Clint from the will of God. Just Clint could keep Clint from the will of God. Do you understand? And what could keep Tidewater from God's will for this church family? And the answer is just us. Just us. And if we'll just trust him, we'll be fine. You understand? If I'll trust him, I'll be fine. If we'll trust him together, we'll be fine. The more that that happens... The greater that circle is, if you understand what I'm saying, throughout the world, the more local churches that will just trust Christ, the better off the world will be. The more that individual husbands and wives and families will just trust Christ, the better off their family will be, their neighborhood will be, the better off everybody will be. Because God is who he says he is. Now, I'm not telling you that as a, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, as if it's my job as a preacher to tell you that. I'm telling you that simply as a man. I'm telling you that I have come to the to the complete understanding and realization that God is almighty, that he is omniscient. He understands everything. Nothing is too great for him. Nothing is too great for him. Um, I, I don't know, I do not know how many things we've prayed about either together or individually that we can trace directly to your prayer is, the, is why that happened. I do not know. I believe that there are many things. It sounds a little arrogant. Doesn't it sound a little arrogant? Let me explain to you what I mean. So David Gates called me the day after we prayed. 
And he said, um, actually texted me that afternoon. Later that afternoon, he said, Pastor, I want to I thank you for the, the way you prayed for me this morning. It's already, God is already answering that prayer, as if my prayer specifically. Now, I know that Brother David Gates spoke to, spoke to other pastors that day, but my prayer, he said, God was answering my prayer. Now, it's possible that God was answering my prayer because I did pray in faith. I know that God is able to raise Dave up. I know that I don't believe that God is done using Dave as a missionary, so I believe that he has things for him to do. And so that was the way I prayed about it. But I, it sounds arrogant to say God answered my prayer, doesn't it? But see, if you focus on God instead of you in that, that changes everything. It's not that God answered my prayer. It's God answered my prayer. Do you understand? And so when we come to him, we are told to go boldly, right? Not arrogantly, not selfishly, but confidently. I believe you're able. If thou, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole, right? That's what the leper said. If you will... You can make me whole. And what was his answer? I will. I will be the whole. I will. Isn't that wonderful? I will. And people saw him do that. And that emboldened them because they saw that he was able. And then you find him raising Lazarus, four days rotting in the grave. And he says, Lazarus, come forth, and he's not rotten. Isn't that amazing? You try that. You try that. I don't want to be there when you do it, by the way, but you try that. That's how great our God is. I know I've said this many, many times. Sometimes you want God to do something, and my, and my answer has been to many people, but maybe it's not stinking dead yet. And what I mean by that is this. I believe we ask God to do things while we believe he's still able to do them, but we shorten his arm. Lord, if you don't do something now, it's going to be too late. And God would say to you, when would it be too late? When will it get too hard for me? When will it be too much for me? When will I not be enough? Praise God, he's always enough. And by the way, he, and I mean this, and I'm not saying this because it's the right thing to say, he's right on time. You say, well, why is he taking his time? And my answer would be, ask him. Maybe he'll tell you. Ask him. I don't know why. I don't know why he does this now and why he does this now and why he does this now. You want to know why I don't know? Because I'm not him. Because I'm not as smart as he is. Because I don't know what's going on in 7 billion lives right now. But he does. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we would trust him? Just trust him. I'm, you know, to you young people, I don't know where your parents are in their walk with God. I really, really don't know where they are. I hope they're doing wonderfully well. But I'm telling you, your walk with God can be marvelous, no matter what your parents' walk with God is. We, I would want for my children a better walk with God than I had with God at their age. That's what I want for them. I do not want them to have my walk with God. I do not want them to get to where I am at my age. I want them to be past where I am at my age, if you understand. That's what God wants to accomplish in our life. It's not, it's not wrong that we would recognize our own shortcomings. It's wrong that we would focus on our own shortcomings. Don't focus on how weak you are. You are weak. Be aware of it. Be always aware of it. But focus on how strong he is. Again, I, I mentioned last week that when this began, when, 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 I, when I mean this, I mean coronavirus. When coronavirus began um, months ago now, uh, James Sanders said this morning, he, he and I were the only two here, I said, I can't believe it's almost June. And he said, I know, I keep thinking that it's March uh, 
68th or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like we, almost like we got stuck in March and we're just kind of still going through that same period of time. Now, when this all started, my Facebook feed, and I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but my Facebook feed was filled with verses and, and passages and things about how great God was. But, but it, it does truly appear that even in our church family, the media has beat you down much. And now there's much feeling a need to post responses to things the media has said or done, to things that we don't agree with or disagree with. Just focus on Christ. May I encourage you, may I help you, turn your television off and open your Bible. And if you, and if, listen, if you believe that turning your television off and opening your Bible is not pertinent and you don't understand your Bible and you don't understand your God, this is, this is as pertinent today as it's ever been. It is probably more needed today than it may have ever been needed in your life. The Word of God, the power of the Word of God. Not, not as if this is a magical, you know, uh, talisman. No, no, this is just the Word of God. The power of, the, of this book is the God that gave us this book. Do you understand? This is His Word. And you can trust him at his word. Now, it is my desire that as we spend time together, and we only have a few minutes left together, and I, I guess I can apologize. I, what I mean by that is to actually say I'm sorry that I kind of went on and on about this. But I don't know. I mean, you know, you're going to leave here in just a little bit. We won't have a midweek service. And I want you to trust God. I just want you to trust God. I just want you to trust God. I want you to recognize that you need the Word of God because you need God. You understand? You need the Word of God because you need, you need to be honest. You need to be honest. You need to be honest. You need to let God do what He wants to do in your life through His Word. We have tremendous, tremendous unrest in our country. We have great, great anger, frustration, hurt, maybe even malice and hate. Don't bother to try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. We're wrong. You understand? We're wrong. If you could understand, listen, if, you, if each one of us could understand that what matters in your life is not where they're wrong. What matters in, in your life is where you're wrong. That's what Christ is trying to give victory over. Do you understand? Not that person is wrong because they said such and such. They may be wrong because they said such and such. But what God wants to do is for you to understand how great Jesus is. And by the way, God wants them to understand how great Jesus is. But they're not going to understand how great Jesus is because you tell them off and tell them where they're wrong. That's not going to help them at all. It's not. In fact, what it's going to cause is tremendous division. So may God help us to understand. Now, by the way, I want you to open to 3 John chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1. Third John, verse 1. The title of my message this morning is Beloved. Beloved. Did you guys notice it? Did you notice, did you notice how many times it says beloved in these 14 verses? Beloved, love, uh, well-beloved. It's just all over it. It's remarkable to me. Notice, I want you to notice. I want you to, I'm just going to, uh, we'll read this together. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved. I wish above all things. Look at the word wish here, by the way. The biblical use of the word wish. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. 
For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to the strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity, again, love, before the church, whom, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. What you recognize, the central message, we're not going to talk about the central message much today, but the central message here has to do with the humility of real hospitality, the humility of real hospitality. What does it mean to open your life to benefit others who are serving God? That's what we're seeing here. Gaius is opening, it appears, his household and his resources to help uh, uh, probably evangelist missionaries, those that are moving around with the gospel, that he's basically taking care of them, watching over them, providing for them while they're traveling through the area where he lives, and that he's committed to doing so. Now, uh, again, but the point that I want you to see is in verse 1, it says, uh, well-beloved, love, and the beginning of verse 2, it says, beloved again. So just the first two verses we see the word beloved or love that's again it's it's agape it's the same root in every place we see it over we see it continually being used so we recognize now one of the other words that probably stood out to you as i read through this was truth did anybody notice that how much truth showed up well, well here's a good place to see it it's at verse 1 it says whom i love in the truth now, i got i got passages passages and passages and passages and passages having to do with this and I, want to, I do want to take a couple of minutes to show you some of these things. So the, re, the root word here in all three of these places, beloved, uh, well-beloved, and love, is agape. The very goal of God's work in our hearts and lives. This is the very goal of God's work in our hearts and lives. Now, I, I'm going to stop here. I, I really wanted to, uh, I am aware of the time, and I am aware that we're trying to keep this you know, to a limited time, but here's what I've come to realize. So, during this time, we haven't had all of our assemblies, obviously. We have got together a few times. The deacons and I have got together um, more than a couple times. And here's the thing. We get together not to conduct business, even if we have to conduct business. We get together as beloved, as those who love one another in the truth. In other words... So, you know, two of the men just came up here and prayed. Two of the men that are at those meetings. You know, Ed's, Ed's at those meetings and Mitch Marion's at those meetings. Basically, the deacons and the elders in our church, Don Madonza, John James. Those men are here. And when we get together, there's just, there's, I don't know how to say it. There's a peaceful, effortless fellowship. I don't have to gauge my words and make sure that I say it in such a way that Ronnie would, he'll be okay, he's going to be okay with it as long as I word it like this, and Glenn will be okay with it as long as I word it. Can you imagine that having to be the way you got together with those in the positions of leadership in the church? We just get together. We ask the Lord to help us. We confess we don't know everything. We confess that he does know everything. And we ask him to once again provide leadership for our church and to take us forward. Don't you sense that? 
here, right? The elder, John, unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish. It's funny, the word wish is a strange word. It, it means exactly what you'd expect it to mean. I have a strong desire for this, but I'm not sure about it, if you understand what I'm saying. What I mean by that is this. When we use the word hope, when we use the word hope, we often mean I wish. You know, I wish well for you, or I hope well for you, as if they're the same thing. But hope and wish are not the same thing at all. They're completely different. Does anybody understand the difference? Hope is I'm confident that this is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet, right? I always use lasagna. Yeah, anybody familiar with my lasagna story? So, you know, when I worked as an engineer, you know, here I am working, you know, I'm at work and I call my wife and it's lunchtime and, and, uh, and she says, where are you going for lunch? And I say, oh, the guys and I are going to go out to blah, 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 blah. What are we thinking about for dinner? And she says, I'm making lasagna. Not I'm thinking about making lasagna. I'm making lasagna. And from the time she says that, I have hope in lasagna. My wife makes awesome lasagna. I have hope in lasagna. I don't have wish for lasagna. I have hope. I'm having lasagna. Chances are she's not going to burn it. The chances are the house is not going to fall down. There's a, I'm going to have lasagna tonight. And I would say that as a rule, or maybe even as an absolute, that's the case. I had, there's a good reason for that expectation because once she says I'm making lasagna, praise God, I'm having lasagna. Do you understand? But there's a difference in that and my wife being away in Richmond where our dog is having surgery. I, I, honestly, if you'd have told me when I was growing up that I would ever make that statement, those of you that grew up, some of you grew up like I did, and a dog having surgery was never something you would even consider. But our dog was having surgery, and my wife was up there. So my wife's in Richmond, and I need to eat dinner, and I can wish for lasagna, but I better not hope for lasagna. Do you understand the difference? Here's the biblical, it's okay to wish well upon somebody. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the difference between I desire good for Jeff and I hope good for Jeff. Now, we would love to be able to say with all of our heart in all circumstances, I hope good for you. But sometimes we don't know for sure how things are going to go. Now, we do know ultimately all things are working together for good. But when we say that to someone, we often mean, I think everything's going to go exactly like you want it to and exactly like I want it to. And here's what John is saying. I'm not sure. Listen, what it says. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper financially and be in health, not be sick, even as thy soul prospereth. He's confident in the sole prosperity of Gaius. He knows that Gaius is wealthy and that he's willing to help others with his finances, but he doesn't know if he'll always have it or not. And he doesn't know if he'll always be well or not, but it's well with his soul, praise God. What a wonderful song that is, by the way. It is well, it is well with my soul. No matter, listen, and I can sing this, and so can so many of you, no matter what's going on around me, it is well, it is well with my soul. You want to know why it is well with my soul? Because God has my soul. Because God has got it and he's in complete control of it and I am safe because of who the Lord Jesus is. Amen? See this. See the love that you see here. It is critical in our understanding of 3 John that we realize that the short book leads with love. There's only 14 verses, and it, and it chooses. God chooses at the very beginning of this book. He's going to talk about, by the way, go down to verse 9 with me. I wrote unto the church. Now, I believe that that would mean that um, Diotrephes would be in, in my position in that local church. 
He wrote unto the church, and that would mean that the senior pastor is Diotrephes. But Diotrephes doesn't receive the letter. Why? And now notice, here's the thing. Circle it with me. Who loveth to have the preeminence. Boy, there's a different love. Yes? What's the difference? Who does Diotrephes love? Himself. Who does Diotrephes care about primarily? Himself. He might even care about his church. But I promise you, churches with a small C, H, U-R-C-H, and that his is with capital H-I-S. See, if this is your church, and it's capital Y-O-U-R, church, just go someplace else. This is Christ's church. You understand? We're just members together. Yeah? You got but you know, we, we are so, all of us, all of us, we are so prone to eye problems. You know, what I mean by eye problems is capital I. God help us to recognize that's the problem in all local churches. What makes a local church weak? Well, we do. How do we make it weak? Selfishness. How can it be strong? Humble ourselves. Amen? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So if we collectively say, we're not able, Lord Jesus, but show us. Show us what you're going to show us. Show us something, Lord. Show us how great you are. Win victories in our lives. Anybody need a victory? Everybody need a victory? We continually want God to do wonderful things. Well, just humble yourselves and trust him. But notice how much love there is here. I know that we say much about love and charity. That's one of my notes here. I know that we say much about love and charity here at Tidewater, but this is because it's the goal of going to church. When I was a baby Christian, Christianity was really simple. Jesus was wonderful. He loved me. He was making me love other people. You know what I'm going back to now, really, now that I'm getting older? This very same thing. It's just going to be simple. Tidewater is going to be simple. Jesus loves you. He wants you to live in that love. He wants you to love each other, and he wants you to love everybody else. The word of God, the truth of the word of God, will guide us and direct us. We'll humble ourselves, and we'll let it. We won't have to prefer ourselves. We won't have to be puffed up. We don't have to fight and argue with everybody. We don't have to fight and argue with everybody. We can just tell them, look, Jesus loves you. They can say, I don't even believe in you, Jesus. That's okay, he still loves you. I don't want things the way you want things. That's okay. It's all right. It doesn't matter what I want anyway. Jesus still loves you. Do you understand? Can you do that? Can you understand that? I do not understand when Christianity decided that she was going to have to, quote, unquote, prove to the world how great she was. We are not great. Jesus is great. And he doesn't need you to prove how great he is. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was pretty confident when he walked on the earth in his humility, not having to show off at all. Amen? So why do we feel like we have to show off to show how great he is? When you're showing off, he is not great. You're great. And you're not so great, by the way. And nobody's impressed. Turn to me. We're going to just look at, maybe we'll just look at one verse. We'll come back here next week. These loads, Lord, really won't go to waste. Go back, go turn to first, turn, turn to John chapter 13, verse 34. I think this is so, again, it just fits with who Gaius is, who John is, what the foundation of their friendship is, what the foundation of their relationship is, what the foundation of what God is trying to accomplish in both of their lives and in the church there is. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you. Now again, John chapter 13 is important. 
It's important that you recognize the, the, the historical context of John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is ending, ended. And now he's focusing on talking to his disciples. Everybody that Christ preached to, he wanted to rescue. But not everybody wants to be rescued. But to those of us that are his, he says, here's what I have for you. You understand? Listen, he would have you to tell everybody about his love. But for you, he wants you to know it without any reservation. He wants it for them too, but they're going to have to trust him first. You who have already trust him, notice what he says, a new commandment I give unto you. To who? To those of us that already trust him. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. Boy, that's a pretty deep love, isn't it? I'm going to stop for just a moment. We're almost done. Look up here. Anybody want to recognize that, that the way Jesus loves and the way you love are not exactly the same thing? Anybody willing to raise their hand to that? Okay. Now, how many of you would say, but I'd like it to be? Honestly. And not so I could boast. I just would like that to be true. I'd love to love like Jesus loves. Amen? Well, praise God, that's what he's wanting to accomplish here. In fact, he's not just wanting to accomplish. It's a commandment. Yeah, let's look at it. A new commandment I give unto you. How can he give this new commandment? And the answer is the Holy Ghost. That's how he can give this new commandment. How can he say to me, Chuck, love Jeff. Jeff, love Chuck. And the answer is, how can he do that? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost lives in Jeff. So therefore, Jeff can love the way God would have him to. The Holy Ghost lives in Chuck. Therefore, Chuck can love the way God wants him to. Now, Chuck, old Chuck is still around, and old Chuck's still a pain, and he wants his way, and so is old Jeff, if you understand what I'm saying. But praise God, all things are passed away. Those don't have to have power over us anymore. That's what we're seeing right here. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, this is what I wrote in my notes, in big, big letters, all red exclamation points, by this, by this. What should define the child of God? And the answer is love, selfless love. By the way, do you want to know where in my notes, you want to know where I went after this statement? I went to 1 Corinthians 13. You want to know why? Because any other definition of love is a false definition of love. We are prone to read this and then say, oh, I need to love as God wants me to love. And then we start to imagine for ourselves what that means. Don't imagine for yourself what that means. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. And here's what it will do. It'll humble what you defined love as before you went there. When you read that, you say, oh, this is different. This is complete. This is supernatural. I do not have this kind of love in myself at all. I am powerless to produce this level of love. And that's good, because you are powerless to produce that level of love. But God is not powerless to produce that level of love. And your coworkers, and your neighbors, and your extended family, and your children, and your husbands, and your wives, that's what they need. That's what everybody needs, this kind of love. And who's able to do this? The one that gives the commandment is able to do this. The one that gives the commandment is able to do this. And praise God, he's able to do it in you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if, and you might want to circle the word if in your Bible. Wouldn't it be, isn't that, a, that almost makes me sad. It could, wouldn't it be wonderful if it just said when? But it says if. Now what does that, what, now listen, and this is it, we're almost done. What does that mean? What does it mean that the Bible says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another? Do you want, you want to know why it says that? Because it's possible that I'd say no. 
Even though I'm a new creature, even though I'm born again, it's possible that I would say, I have said no. Have you not? Have you not said no to this level of love in your life? Jesus says, if you love like I want you to love, everybody's going to know that you're my disciple. It's going to make a difference in their lives. But you're going to have to say yes. You don't have to do anything else, praise God. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to do anything else, but you're going to have to say yes. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Daily. You're going to have to recognize that every day when you wake up, you're just as desperately wicked as you were yesterday. But if you'll wake up this morning and say yes, then praise God, he says, just give me the body. Romans chapter 12. By the way, go to Romans chapter 12. I thought we were going to end right here. This came to my heart. Go to Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies. Well, we'll go to it. I'll just show it to you. I want to show you the first verse, and I want to show you the last verse. Because I think you should go. This, what we've just looked at in 3 John, I think, should go with us as we go out uh, today. But I believe so should this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Now, go to the very last verse. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? With sound with convincing arguments. Is that what it says? No. It says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you think people will take advantage of you Do if you do this? Yes. People will take advantage of you if you do this. Do you think people will still say bad things about you if you do this? Yes. People will still say bad things about you when you do this. But they'll have to lie. Do you understand? Just walk with Jesus. Just walk. Listen, you have no, and I mean this, each and every one of you individually, you have no idea what God can do with your life if you'll stop trying to do things with it for him and start letting him have it to do things with. All the difference in the world. Stop doing things for God and let him have the body so that he can do things with the body that will help everybody around you. You understand? What a difference this will make. Do not be overcome of evil. Again, please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Turn your television off or your computer, whatever it is. Turn it off. Open the word of God. You know, this morning I was uh, ironing your sh- this shirt. I was ironing the shirt that I'm wearing. Doesn't that look good? I was ironing this shirt in my office. I was ironing my, this shirt in my office. And, I, and all I did was put on some, it's called gospel guitar. It's just, it's just it's a bunch of songs with somebody like Bobby McKinney or my son Andrew just finger-picking the guitar, amazing grace, just being played on the guitar. And I just sat there and I ironed my shirt and I just rejoiced in how great Jesus was. Do you have any idea how much better that is than I turned on Fox News in my office, if you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what, what, how much far better it was for you that I didn't turn on the news and I just listened to how great Jesus is? That's our problem. The problem is we're being overcome, being overcome of the evil around us. Don't be overcome. Overcome evil with good. Well, who's good? There's none good but God. So if we're going to overcome evil with good, then God's going to have to be the one that does it. Amen? Father, bless us now as we close this service. Lord, I know that uh, you love us, and I pray, Lord, that you'd bless us, that you'd be glorified in our lives. 
Lord, do what we can't do, but let us say yes to you so that you can do it.